Hello everyone, I'm Joel here with Restoration, back getting to share one of my recent teachings with you guys. We've been going through this Summer of Psalms here the last couple, several weeks actually. This is my ter- first turn to get to share with you guys, and when we started this series I didn't really know what I wanted to preach on, but I talked to my wife Kylie and she had some suggestions, and so she kind of steered me towards Psalm 23 is where I'm going to be reading today, and it's a very... It's the most popular psalm, I imagine. It's what most people would consider. As I was preparing for this, um, I looked into my, I was just looking through my study Bible, and it classifies this specific psalm as a psalm of confidence. And I really like that term, that idea that it's a psalm of confidence in the Lord's care is what it, specifically it is. So as I was reading this, I came up with the title for my sermon, and it is He Provides and Then Some. And so I'm just going to be talking about confidence here at the beginning, but just the confidence we have and God will provide for us and then some, and he does beyond what we often expect. So um, I'm just going to begin here by reading through Psalm 23. Most people have the first few verses, if not the whole thing memorized. So this should sound very familiar, but here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So again, this is classified as confident, uh, Psalm of Confidence. And back to that term, I just, I greatly appreciate that. And I, I love that idea that, um, you know, often we say we, we study the word to gain wisdom and understanding and closeness to God. And in a different way, I think this wording of we gain confidence in God. We, we are assured in what he does and has done for us. And so, you know, like the the students I work with and things like that so often and us as adults too if we tell ourselves something over and over and over again eventually it becomes the truth whether it is or not and you know even a lie sometimes people can convince themselves if I say it long enough eventually I'll believe it and not that this is a lie or anything to that extent but even this this being what I consider to be the truth it's Psalm 23 that we've all read numerous countless times but the more I read it, the more I say it over and over again, the more confidence I gain it, the more I believe it, and the more I can just rest assured in it. You know, I like this idea of just having absolute confidence is what I would call it, like no doubt whatsoever. So hopefully the more I go over this, the more confidence I will gain because I want that absolute confidence in what I believe to be absolute truth. Truth. So going back over, um, I'm just going to read one or two verses at a time and kind of break it down piece by piece. And Again, I'll get more and more into this as we go, but it's that idea of and then some. Jesus or God has done and does all these things for us, but there's so much beyond what we even understand or what we expect that he does for us. So back to verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, even in just the, that first line, a couple things that stood out. The Lord is my shepherd. That idea of a shepherd is... It's brilliant that God would use that phrasing at this time just because, you know, a lot of scripture is 
very relevant to the context and the time that the period of time that things were happening. But a shepherd has kind of transcended time. They are still today. They still exist. So he chose something that he could use as a model and example thousands of years ago that still we still see today. We can look at what a shepherd does today, and it's pretty much exactly what a shepherd did thousands and thousands of years ago. So the fact that he has, again, selected this model is so perfect and just so brilliant that of what he's done. And, you know, the shepherd is just an all-encompassing provider for their flock. They do just everything that needs to be done. They provide, you know, protection, guidance, nourishment, just anything you can imagine the shepherd provides for their flock. And the second part of this sentence, um, I'm just going to be honest, and I find it humorous. Maybe you will too. But when it says, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When I was very young, I used to be so confused by this phrase because I used to think, what does that mean? The Lord is the shepherd, I shall not want. I, I see it now as two two um, sections of a sentence. The Lord is my shepherd is the first part. I shall not want is the second. But when I read that little, when I was little, I used to always think the Lord is the shepherd I don't want. I was so confused by that. And I just, it makes me laugh today because at the time I thought, well, I don't know, God's pretty wise. Sometimes scripture is hard to understand, so there must be some kind of deep meaning there. No, I was just misreading it. I just missed the punctuation. So what it's saying is um, in the Christian Standard Bible, it refers to it as I have all I need. And again, I feel like that's an absolute term that I like. You know, said absolute confident, absolute truth. Here's another absolute that I have all I need. I shall not want. Just everything has been provided for me. So it's just a good reminder that um, if the Lord is my shepherd, there's nothing that I want or there's nothing that I need. Verses 2 through 3 say, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So I kind of asked some people, I said, when I read these, what words come to mind? And of course, we always say, um, beside the still water, the green pasture, it's calm, it's peaceful, it's restful, it's you're being renewed. And one thought I had was um, when it talks about the green pasture, you know, we always say the grass is greener on the other side. But I think this green pasture that God lays us down in it has to be the greenest pasture. It has to be the greenest grass imaginable. It's it's perfect. It is it is God. It is everything we could ever want or need. And that idea of still waters, you know, um, water is such a an interesting thing that it, at times it can be so still and peaceful, but at other times it can be incredibly dangerous. I mean, rough waters, if you're in them, are incredibly harmful, flooding, all these different things that water... It provides both life, but it can also bring death. I mean, if it's dangerous, if it's if it's not in the right conditions. But here we talk about it's still water. So just that stillness, again, that calm, that peace. Sounds like a nice place to rest and just relax. And it's not dangerous. And then, you know, there's the throughout Scripture water, um, that it's the essence of life, you know, Um so water is so significant here. And then we come to this the line, it restores my soul. So me personally, something I like to do in my spare time, I mean not constantly in my spare time, but especially like in the evenings if I'm laying down for bed and trying to just kind of unwind for the day, I've, I've taken a deep dive into restoration videos on the internet, on YouTube. 
And there's all these different ones. And they're very interesting because they just take just the most odd and random items and they restore them and they make them like new. And some of these people on YouTube are, it, just, it varies a lot with their what they're capable of. Some of them are quite amazing and they do truly astonishing things. But then some of them I, I watch and I always think, well, I could have done that. Like they take something, they clean it up, they paint it, do whatever. And it looks fine. But I always think I could have done that. But then there are these um, others that, for example, my favorite is um, this guy who just takes these things and he makes them truly better than they ever were, like better than they were when they were originally built. Even when they were brand new out of the package, he takes them and makes them even better than new. And it's just, it's, it's amazing what, what he's able to make out of these different things and how he's able to put them back together. So I just think of us, um, you know, our Lord, our shepherd, he makes us better than we ever were. He makes us better than brand new. I mean, he just, he restores us to a better condition than we could ever give ourselves. And so this is the beginning of that point of, and then some, he makes us good. He brings us back to a good place, but then he makes us even better. And then some, and it's just, it's the beginning of that idea of, he just goes above and beyond of what we would expect or what we would think is even possible. And then I want you to just take a moment and think of a literal sheep. We're talking about shepherds, so envision a sheep. And one of the things that often um, can put a sheep in danger and kind of cause them to grow worn and weary is their their wool, their um, their actual coat of wool that they have. If it grows too large, it can become very, very heavy, and it can weigh them down. They have to get, uh, I looked it up, and it says they have to get their, their wool cut about once a year or once every eight months or so, so... If they don't, they just have this massive, massive coat that um, weighs them down. They have to drag it around, and it just it becomes a burden. And so, kind of keep that keep that vision going. And as I go through the rest of this scripture, I'll kind of reference it a couple times. But the last piece in these verses were it, 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 three ends with the term "for His name's sake," and I did just a little deep dive on that because I was like, okay, that that was added to this one piece. So why? And I'm not. Honestly, I could probably do an entire series or at least one whole sermon on just that that term for his, for in his name's sake. And it's just a good little reminder that I would encourage you to reflect on and maybe look into is this idea that even though God is offering all these things for us, we still serve him. He is not doing this in service of us. Yes, he is doing. He is loving us and caring for us in the most perfect way imaginable. But we still serve him. And sometimes we can get that twisted if we start to think, well, God does all these things for me. He does them for me. He serves me. Nope. You better keep that straight. We, he does it for in his name's sake. And everything we sh- do should be in service to him. So this brings us to first verse 4. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So right off the bat there, um, you know, we have, I'm reading from the ESV version, ESV Bible. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I looked into the CSB, that Christian Standard Bible, and it said the darkest valley. So again, I asked some people what comes to mind with these terms, the shadow of death, the darkest valley, and just, I mean, obviously darkness and sin and trials and tribulation, just all these horrible things. But then I thought about like the literal darkness and the shadow, the things that you, you, you can't see. If something's in the shadow, it's hidden. Or if it's in the darkness, it's unseen. And so I think that that unknown, even though as I walk through 
the valley of the unknown. The valley is a low point. So when things are low and I don't know what's happening and I don't even know the dangers that are there, he is with me. So, you know, it says, for you are with me in these valleys. And so there's that idea that he is there protecting us from the things that we can see, like the things that we know are happening. But then he does so much more than that. He protects us from the things we can't even see. There's always things in this world that we are totally oblivious and we don't even know is going on. And so even things we can't see, um, that's that above and beyond. Uh, again, that, and then some, he, he protects us from what we know and what we don't know, what we see and what we don't see. And so he just goes beyond what we could even ask of him. Um, back to the she- back to the shepherd, you know, he says, um, my rod and my staff, they comfort me, uh, with your rod and your staff, you comfort me, you guide me. Um, God, again, he steers us away from, from danger. He protects us. He, he shows us where we need to go in life in in a very real way, not just some sort of, you know, mystical, oh, I feel I'm supposed to go this way. I mean, he can give us very certain guidance in what we do in our life. And this protects me from, um, a little bit like those dangers I know, there are certain evils and things that I just don't even know about and God will keep me away from them. So I never have to know about them. But then there are those evils that I are, you know, that are unavoidable. There are just things in life that there's just no shielding from. And there are times I'm called into places, darkness to shine a light. And so even when I'm going into those places, those unavoidable darknesses, God is still protecting me. Verse five starts with, um, you prepare a table before me. This term table implies a feast. You know, I was thinking about that. I mean, how often do we have a feast? Well, most meals we wouldn't consider a feast. We have what we need. Maybe we have a little extra, but a feast here is it's, it's, it's abundance. It's, it's more than we need. Of course, God could just sustain us and keep us alive and give us the thing he needs, but he prepares a feast and abundance for us back to that. And then some, he gives us what we need and then some. Verse goes on, um, in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. That in the presence of my enemies, so there is nothing, no enemy can take away the things that God has provided or the things that God has offered me. Yes, we will be tempted. Yes, we will be attacked by the enemy. But if God has provided it, if God has given it, if God means it to be, it cannot be taken away. There is no evil force that can even come close or compare to the power that is God and what he, um, what he intends for us. And there's this, this last line of this is my cup overflows. Okay. And that's one of my, one of my favorite visuals from all of scripture is just this idea of being filled and then overflowing that back to that term abundance and, and then some God fills me with what I need and then some, and it's just, I don't know. It's such a simple message that if a cup were full, you'd be like, oh, perfect. It has is it exactly what it's supposed to have. It's filled right to the top. It's all perfect. It's all even. But then God, he overflows us. He fulfills us beyond that. You know, when we seek other things to fill our, our cup, we become empty. We grow worn and weary. Remember the sheep with the with a large coat of wool? We're, we're in that situation where... Um, we're, we're just beat down. We've got this, these burdens, these things weighing us down. And it's only when we seek God to fill our cup that we can become not only filled, but beyond fulfilled. We, uh, we overflow. 
back to that and then some he he fills us i like that idea beyond fulfillment of what we need and what we want and then in, you know the last verse here six says surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life in the esv version it says that's uh that's what it says goodness and mercy shall follow me but in the csb it says only goodness and fi- faith fullness will pursue me so there's a slight difference there one version it says it will follow me in the other version it says it, he will pursue me and not that i'm picking favorites because they both have really good terms and phrases and things and i mean it's it's the lord's word word either way but i love that idea of pursue me that he is pursuing me to follow sounds not passive but it's not aggressive either you're just following something for us to pursue is to to go after to actively um, try to obtain something so you know with his goodness his mercy his faithfulness he will pursue me even when i'm empty even when i'm worn and weary even when i'm actively running away from him there are times in our lives where we think we can avoid god and that's quite the joke good for a laugh that um, we ever think that we would be able to avoid him but if we've given ourselves to him but we are trying to back away or we're trying to avoid him he will actively pursue us and i just love that idea of him coming after us to to gain us to get us back where he means us to be then the scripture ends with and i shall dwell in the house of the lord forever and a slight difference here again in the ESV it says as long as I shall live and the CSB ends with forever and those are both awesome as long as I shall live if the Lord were offering me himself for just my time here on earth just as long as I live that's beyond anything I could expect but the fact that it says the other says forever implies an eternity beyond just here on earth and there's that more and then some not only your time here on earth will god provide for you but beyond that and then some he will do more and more um so as i was closing some people i think have this thought of that all sounds great i would love to live a life of abundance where god is constantly giving me everything that i need and he's just um allowing me to live a life of abundance and just overflowing but most people I don't think would say they honestly feel like they live that way, even if they are such a devoted Christian and follower of God that they would say, I always feel like I'm living from a place of scarcity or I'm in need or I just I never have what I think I need. So how do we live a, a Psalm 23 life? It's kind of the question to ask here. And I think so often we, we overcomplicate um, our relationship with God to where we want to the idea of theology and some people go so deep into it and it is incredibly interesting and at times it is useful but then sometimes i think we just make it too much and i think the two words two of the more simpler terms and words that i think we can always look to is just seek and surrender uh you know we did the people of the and series so here are two and seek and surrender those almost seem somewhat opposite how do you surrender something and seek something at the same time but that's what we have to do we surrender to the god to god and then we seek him so back to the uh the last visual here of the sheep with the wool and just weighing them down and i just thought it was such an obvious depiction of us because they have a literal burden on their back that is literally weighing them down eventually they get to a point where they just can't move they are stuck and they are vulnerable to know um, all sorts of different dangers and enemies and things like that and they have just this literal burden that has worn them down and this is us 
until we can surrender everything. You know, a sheep, if they were to just, if their shepherd was nearby, their sheep would tend to them and take care of them, would um, shave their their wool, and then they could they would be renewed and they'd be ready to go. But it's when they're separated from their shepherd that they, they grow in this way. And the same is true for us. If we are not near, if we're not pursuing, um, if we can't surrender everything over to God, then there will always be something there to weighing us down and holding us back. So a couple little phrases I kind of came up with here in closing is, you know, we have to seek him in order to surrender everything. So how do we seek and surrender? Well, first you seek, and over time he will help you. He will show you how to surrender these things in your life that you need to give up, these burdens, these these coats of wool that needed to be surrendered for him to provide for us. Um, I said it is only through him that we can give up everything, just like it is only through him that we can get everything we need and then some. You know, he provides so much that we are aware of and so much that we know of, but it's it's truly amazing the things that he does beyond our grasp, beyond our understanding. And as thankful as we are, we can never even we can never be thankful enough for what he does for us again that we know about. So the gratitude I hope that I can um, give to him for the things that I know he is doing, and then some. Um, I just pray that you know I just I love God and I devote myself to him daily, and I just pray that I can constantly continue to surrender and seek in him. So closing in prayer here, I just want to say, God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for um, just this series that we've been focusing on as we go through Psalms. And Psalms, so massive. It's so nice that we're able to just break this down into chunks that um, each of us have a different perspective and a different take that we can just pull out Scripture and kind of share with each other what you're speaking to us about these things. Lord. And so I just pray in this specific one, this, this idea of you provide and then some lord we we rejoice and we say thank you for the things that you do that we know about but we say thank you for the things that we'll never even know about god i mean we are human we are flawed we are lacking in our gratitude for you god but we just desperately um, cry out to you when you say thank you god for everything that you do for us and then some god we're just so thankful for all that you do in your name we pray amen